Good morning, family. Uh, this morning, this reading, or the reading I'm doing is Genesis 12, 1 to 3. So if you have your Bibles or want to follow along, uh, please do. The call of Abram. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. I'm reading from Exodus 19, uh, verse 1 to 6. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rehippedim, they entered the desert of Sinai and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people, people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And the third reading is from Leviticus 26, 9 to 13. I will look on you with favour and make you fruitful and increase your numbers, and I will keep my covenant with you. You will still be eating last year's harvest when you will have to move it out to make room for the new. I will put my dwelling place among you and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with heads held high. Uh, I did think about having 39 Bible readings this morning, one from each book of the Old Testament, but I thought we might be here for a while. So we just went with the first three. Uh, Because this morning we're actually looking at the whole Old Testament, basically. As we're telling this big story of God, we're up to Act 3. But before we get there, I just want to get you to imagine something for a moment. I want you to imagine that last night you went to the movies. Uh, and maybe you went to see, like, the latest uh, action movie, whether it's, like, you know, DC or Marvel, latest superheroes, just come out, you've been anticipating it for weeks, you've been looking forward to it, came out and you went to see it last night. And imagine that you're watching this movie and they set the scene and you realise which of those incredible characters are back for this instalment of the series. You've got these great lineup of superheroes. And then, of course, you're introduced to the big bad, the new evil character that you've never come across before and how they're going to destroy the world. And so getting ready for the team to assemble and make their plan of how they're going to defeat evil. And on the way, of course, one of the superheroes actually comes across the bad guy, pulls out a gun, shoots him, he's dead, that's the end of the movie, done. How would you feel? A little bit ripped off, maybe? Where was the action? I came to see this great action movie and it just ended. Or perhaps if you're not into Uh, those kinds of movies, which perhaps is obvious that I'm not because of my lack of ability to talk about them well. Maybe you wanted to see like the latest romantic comedy 
And so same thing, you get there and you're introduced to, of course, this unlucky and love woman who's looking for the right man. And then she's introduced, of course, to the guy that you know is going to be the one because they have the little meet cute, they call it, where they, you know, bump into each other on the street. Maybe he saves her high-heeled shoe from something. I don't know. That's what seemed to happen in a number of movies. And, of course, they meet and then they go and have a coffee and they realise that they're the one for each other and they fall in love and they get married and they live happily ever after and the movie's over. And again, I think you'd be feeling a little bit ripped off. We don't go just to see the resolution. We don't go to a good movie and sit there and pay our money for a good story that sets us up with, here's the problem, here's the solution, done. In fact, most good movies, if you can think about the ones that you do love rather than my made-up examples, the bulk of the action, the bulk of the story, the bulk of the time of you sitting there watching the screen is taken up between the introduction of the problem or the question or the conflict and the resolution. They've met, but oh, there's so many obstacles in their way and there's all these misunderstandings and there's going to be another guy that pops up and maybe it's him and maybe it's her and what's... And the complications before we get to the resolution are actually going to take up most of our energy in watching this story. Or the superheroes coming up with their plan and trying one thing and it not working and having to try someone else and one of them getting killed and one of them maybe not getting killed but it looks like he's been killed. All the complications and the messiness and actually the bad guy isn't the bad guy that you thought the bad guy was because there's another bad guy who's really the bad guy. That's what makes a good story. That's actually where the action, the drama takes place. And I don't think that's an accident. That's actually the way we tell stories in our culture. And I think it might reflect the way that the big story that God has been telling since the creation of the world works. Because the story of God also sets us up with a scene that introduces us to the main characters and the problem or the central conflict of a disconnect between them. That's where we've been so far in our story, Act 1. We have this God who has created all that is and humanity who he has desired and longed to be in relationship with. And then we're introduced to the problem. Sin and brokenness has entered into the world. And there is a disconnect between God and his people, between the people and one another, between the people and God's good creation, within the people themselves. And so often when we tell the story, we immediately jump to the resolution. And then God sends Jesus, who reconciles all things to himself, and the story is on its way towards being finished. And it's a good story. But actually, the main part of the Bible the biggest number of chapters sit in between the introduction of the problem and the coming of the resolution. We call it the Old Testament. We're talking about 39 books of the Bible or three quarters of this book that we hold in our hands. What's it there for? Why do we need the Old Testament? Why don't we just skip over it and get to the resolution and get to the point? Why do we need all that complication and messiness and action before we can get to the resolution? That is sometimes the way the story is being told, but what we want to do today is kind of sit in this, what we're calling Act 3 of the story. Why is it there? What does it have to say to us? And what is sitting in Act 3 today going to say into our lives? How is God wanting to speak to us through the Old Testament? And if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you know that we've been using this series of paintings from a Walpuri artist. Her name is Clarice Paulson Nampi Jimpa. Uh, and she tells the story, God's story of the Bible, using a series of artworks. But actually, I don't have a new artwork for you today. Uh, not to critique her too much, but she basically skips the Old Testament in her telling of this story, and she's not alone. There's a, uh, this is one of the paintings you can see right now that Sophie used last week. Um, 
which is this idea that all people have rebelled against God, have gone away from, from God. And one of the things I love in this painting um, is that as the people go away from God, you might notice, particularly with the white ones, that the people also start to turn away from one another um, because it affects all of the dimensions of their lives and all their relationships. But this is really the central question or problem of the biblical drama. This is Act 2. There is a separation, a disconnect between God and his people, between people and one another. And next week, we're going to explore Act 4, which is really the highlight. And I know Elliot is excited because he gets to preach that one. The story of Jesus, <laughs> the gospel, <laughs> really why we exist, why we're here as a church, what we're on about. But today we sit in the in-between. We're sitting in Act 3 and saying, why do we have this messy, complicated difficult to read, sometimes seems boring, sometimes seems irrelevant thing that we call the Old Testament. What is it there for? Uh, I was saying to Elliot this morning, I had probably had about 17 ideas of how I could answer that question, and so I've limited myself to two. If you want to talk about it afterwards, I will talk all day, because this is, you know, might have been doing for the last 10 years teaching the Old Testament. And I think there is so much richness in this part of the story, just like going to the movies, that example, that this is actually where we get to know the characters of the story. We get to know who God is. We get to know who we are. We get to understand God's purpose and God's plan uh, so that we are ready for the resolution when it comes. But this morning, I just want to explore two key ideas about what Act 3 of the biblical drama or the Old Testament has to, to, to teach us and to invite us into in terms of the big story of God. And they are this, that the Old Testament reveals God to us and the Old Testament reveals us or maybe exposes us for who we are. So what kind of God is this God that is working towards the resolution that we'll see coming in the person of King Jesus? Well, it's through the stories and the action and, yes, the mess of the Old Testament that this God is revealed to us in his fullness, who he is and what he's on about. But we also see in this story what it means to be human and to live in the brokenness and messiness and complication of this drama. So you have these two threads, if you like, kind of the good news and the bad news of the Old Testament. I think whenever you're reading the Old Testament, you have to hold these two ideas in tension, that we have a good God who is continuing to make himself known, to persist and to promise and to draw out and invite and at the same time, we have people who are living in mess and muck and complication and difficulty. And these two stories run in parallel. And I thought about asking you this morning, do you want the good news or the bad news first? But I thought most people would say you want the bad news so we can get to the good news. And I actually think sitting in the story requires us to do it the other way around. So rather than letting you choose your own adventure, we're going to go the other way because I want us to see the hope that is in the Old Testament of who God is but in the way that we are telling this story and the invitation that this big story of God invites us to sit in is to actually spend some time in the darkness. And this is something we've practiced, I think, quite well over the last few years here at Richmond as we've sat in series like the Ashes series and the Lament series. So it's only one today, we're not doing a whole series. Um, but inviting us to sit in the space of recognising our darkness, the darkness around us, and therefore our need for God to act. But let me start with the good news. Act 3, the Old Testament is a story of hope and it is a story of promise. It is a story of a loving, passionate and compassionate God who never gives up on his people. 
I always say to my Old Testament students, if you're reading a passage of the Old Testament and it just doesn't make any sense, the first and best question you can always ask is this. What does this tell me about the kind of God God is? Because God is the main character of the Old Testament. God is the main character of every story even when his name isn't mentioned. Too often, if you've grown up in the church, the bulk of your exposure to the Old Testament might have been in Sunday school, where we teach you stories about heroes like David and Moses and Jonah, and as if they are the main characters of this story. But God is always the central, active, passionate, lead character of Act 3 of the biblical narrative. What kind of God is this God? Well, we could go through every book, every story, every passage of the Old Testament and we would see revealed in all its fullness and in all its richness what this God is like, a God who always loves, a God who always persists and pursues, a God who is hopeful and expectant in the bleakest and darkest and most unlikely of circumstances. A God who is looking to be in relationship with the good creation that he has made. One of the really interesting images that is found right across the Old Testament, that's actually quite a risky image, certainly in its original cultural context, is that God is a lover. God is the husband who is passionately pursuing his bride. And although she goes and sleeps around and has affairs and gives up on him and and tries to break that relationship in every possible way, God never gives up. He passionately pursues his people. In fact, God is presented in the Bible, as in the Old Testament, as desiring, almost needy. Now, not needy in a negative way. (laughs) He's clingy, can't let go. But that God is actually the creator of the universe, who is in himself all-sufficient and doesn't need anything, has put himself in the position of longing for and wanting and desiring relationship with the people that he has made to the point that he is grieved and his heart is broken and he agonizes over them because they continue to reject and rebel and go their own way. And so from Genesis 3, which is where we were sitting in the story last week, where Adam and Eve make the choice to put their own desires and their own needs above their relationship with God, and they see the breakdown of that. Story after story, we see the God who is grieved and yet continues to act. The story of the flood in the next few chapters of Genesis, where God is grieved by the evil and violence and destruction that humanity creates when they go away from him, and yet he promises to continue to persist with his plan to make them his own. The calling of Abraham that Sarah read for us, really the start of the story of Israel in the Old Testament, the beginning of Genesis chapter 12, where God's plan is to choose one man and his family and a nation and a people through them, but not just them, through them to bring blessing to the whole world. We did a a series um, and looked at Abraham last year, so you can go back and listen to that message if you want to sit in that story a bit longer. But again, the picture of God presented to Abraham is a God who promises, who wants to bless, who is on the side of his people no matter how many times they fail him. Then we have the great story of the Exodus, where God's people find themselves oppressed and in slavery and rejected and pushed down because they have given up on God. But God has still not given up on them and he redeems them and he draws them out and he saves them and rescues them and makes them his own. And you might think that would be the happy ending of the story, but of course it is not. 
and the people go their own way again. And so God gifts them with his word, with his law, with his, his uh, commands and his uh, desires for them so that they might live well in relationship with him. And we have that great passage that Glenda read for us in Exodus 19 where God says, I have carried you on eagle's wings. I've been like a mother to you. Like you're like my little baby birds. I carried you on my wings. That's how much I love you. And even though you have rejected and you continue to go your own way, if you will be mine, I will bring blessing and I will make you into a light to the nations and I will bless the whole world through you. And God gifts them with the temple we could have read you know, the second half of Exodus and the first half of Leviticus, but probably would have sent us all to sleep this morning, where we get these instructions for this building of a tent that God will live in amongst his people. And it's very detailed and it's very obscure, and we get you know, verses about the, the length of pieces of wood and the color of the curtains and the rods and what kind of material they'll use to make them. But the whole point of that is, again, a God who says, I want to be with you. I love you. I long to dwell amongst you and be your God. Let's make it happen. And in fact, God is the one who makes it happen because the people have no way of making it happen. And so God initiates this uh, method of him being able to live amongst them, the temple where they can go and be in his presence and know that he is with them and on their side. And then that is expanded beyond just a tent. God says, I'll give you a land, a whole country, and we will live together in that land. And you'll be my people and I'll be your God and I will bless you and give you fruit and crops and families and you will live a life of blessing in relationship with me. And in that land, God gifts them with kings to lead them and prophets to speak his word to them and call them back to him when they forget, as they often do, when they reject, as they usually choose to do. And even... The Old Testament story's darkest moment when the people of God are captured and carried away by a foreign nation and led into exile and taken out of that land, God still persists. And story after story, prophet after prophet, word after word, God is calling and loving and desiring and seeking relationship and blessing with his people. And I was trying to find a way to capture all this and I, that in the most obscure of places. I don't know what you heard this morning when you heard that the third reading was from Leviticus. You're expecting some blood and gore. But there's this amazing, big, beautiful passage in Leviticus that I think captures the heart that God has for his people right throughout the Old Testament, which is simply this, I will be your God and you will be my people. We will be in relationship together and I'll bless you. It will be good. It will be like the garden. It will be as I've always intended. A good God who created a good world wants a good people to be in a good land, to be blessed by him in all that they do. The Old Testament story is all about God calling, persisting, drawing to himself, loving and seeking to bless his people. It's worth noting that it's never about an individual it's always about a community because God's heart is for people who are in right relationship with him and also in right relationship with one another, a community that might live out the fullness of all that he has created this world to be. And so never let anyone tell you that the Old Testament is a story of violence and darkness and judgment and law and the New Testament is where the light and the grace and the hope comes. God has never changed. Every page of every book, of every story, of this scripture that we hold, presents us with a God who does all the things he does because of his desire 
to be in relationship with his people, to create and initiate them. That's a good story. And we could leave it there, <laughs> and that would be a great place to end the movie. <laughs> but of course, if you've read the Old Testament, if you've heard some of those Sunday school stories, if you've wrestled with getting through some of those books, you know that there is another side to the coin. That while God never changes and God passionately persists and calls and initiates and blesses his people, he also gives his people the freedom to act and to live and to respond in the ways that they will. And the bad news is that Act 3 is also a story of darkness, a story of brokenness, a story that gets very messy and very complicated and very hard to understand and yet a story, I think, that speaks to us of our own experience of the world in which we live. Because we too live messy, complicated, dark and broken lives and you only have to look at the news this week to know that we live in a world that is messy and broken and dark and complicated. And so Act 3 invites us not just to see who this God is, but to understand who we are as human beings, as his people created in his image, who have chosen to go our own way. What kind of people do we see in the Old Testament? It's not a book of heroes. It's not a story of epic ancestors who did great deeds and great feats. We have we have miscalculated and I think undermined our teaching of our children when we have taught the Old Testament to them that way. Actually, in its original cultural context, that is what the other nations were doing. There are epic stories from the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Akkadians and the Hittites, and that's how they told their stories. They glorified and magnified their ancestors and pumped them up and told their stories as if they too were gods. The Egyptians would tell stories of their pharaohs and their great miraculous deeds. And what makes the Old Testament so unique in its cultural and historical context is that it tells the truth about who humanity is. And so David, the man after God's own heart, is a murderer and a rapist who cannot keep his relationship with his children. And Moses, the most grace-filled man who ever lived, is also a liar and a murderer and someone who makes a mistake that ends up costing him the very thing that he's been anticipating and looking forward to for his whole life. This is not a book of heroes. There is one hero in the biblical narrative. His name is God, Yahweh, the Lord, in the Old Testament. But this is the story of the messy reality of people who live in the brokenness of Act 3. And again, we could look at every story and every book and we could see page after page of how complicated and dark this gets. Uh, but Sophie introduced us last week to a, a kind of helpful framework of thinking about the brokenness that enters into the world in Act 2 that I think is explored and expanded throughout Act 3 of the biblical narrative of the Old Testament. And that is really that there are four dimensions, if you like, to what has been broken in God's good creation. There is the relationship between people and God, the most obvious one, that we have rebelled against him and rejected him. There is a relationship between people and one another that we see disconnect, we see hatred, we see uh, unflourishing entering into the way that people, humanity relates to one another. There is brokenness within each person ourselves as we find that hole within us and the shame and the guilt and the brokenness and the sin that lurks within 
And there is brokenness in our relationship with the good creation that God has made with the earth and all that is in it. And that's a really interesting lens to look at the Old Testament through and to see that actually all of these stories, if you look at them from the human side, so while we have the God who is passionately persisting and blessing, you have humans who are really living out and showing us what the breadth and depth of those four broken relationships might look like. If you think of people within and of themselves, from the garden you have Adam and Eve experiencing shame and guilt at what they have done. You have the guilt of the people who have enacted violence in the flood. You have the longing expressed in the Psalms. You have people, even the heroes like Abraham and Moses and David, who when they take time to look deep within themselves, confess that they are not who they long to be, that there are flaws, that there is darkness within them. You have story after story of the brokenness between people and one another. You have Genesis 2, you know, Genesis 3 introduces us to this broken relationship with Adam and Eve and the first murder occurs in Genesis chapter 4. They're two sons. And the story goes on from there in the pages of the Old Testament but written on the pages of human history. I've heard it said that a history of humanity is the history of war. I don't know how often you've thought about it that way. But if you add up all the years that we have recorded history for, there's something like 14 years where there's been no war in this world. Human history is the history of enmity between people, whether it's on the level of brothers and sisters, siblings fighting, or whether it's nations oppressing, enslaving, warring, and acting in brutal ways towards one another. The Old Testament is full of stories of family breakdowns and national conflicts and oppression and brutality and war. There's also the breakdown in a relationship between humanity and creation. And this is an interesting one because it hasn't been part of the way that we've told the gospel story, the Bible story, uh, over, over many years. Uh, and it's almost like I need to go back to the Old Testament and look for it again and to see how it is actually there. Uh, it's been one of the things in, in recent times that I think uh, the crisis in our climate has kind of forced us to say, where, where does the Bible speak into this? And to kind of look back and see that creation has always been part of God's story. And you see from the flood in Genesis to the droughts when they enter the land how the creation, the land, the context in which the people find themselves is affected by this brokenness that has entered into the world. And again, the Old Testament is the story of a land that is mistreated and abused. The exile is actually takes place because the land needs a rest from the way that it has been exploited for the benefit of some and the mistreatment of others. Creation throughout Old Testament is used for evil and not for good. And of course, the one we're probably most familiar with, the relationship between people and God. From the disobedience of Adam and Eve in the garden through to the story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11 where they try to replace God with themselves and put themselves in his place there. The problem of idolatry throughout the Old Testament where they want to worship the things that they have made rather than the God who has made them. And the rejection of time after time of God's persistent reaching out even by his people. This is a dark, messy, complicated and broken story and the Old Testament shows it to us warts and all. We see the breadth of it. We are invited to sit in the extent of it. It's not a short story. It's a long story of darkness and brokenness in humanity. But I think that it resonates with us because this is actually the story of the world we still live in. It is the story 
that we used to live in. And it is the story that sometimes we forget we don't still live in. Let me say that again. It's the story of the world we live in. It's the story we as the people of Jesus used to live in. And it's the story we sometimes forget we don't still live in. You see, if this story that we are uh, speaking on over this whole series, this big story of God, the Bible story, the six acts of the biblical narratives drama is the story, God's story, then as we've been saying over the last few weeks, we are invited to claim that story, to enter into that story, to live that story. But we can choose to live out of other stories. And if we choose to live out of other stories and reject the story of God, then we are living in Act 3. That is Act 3, choosing to reject God's story and live out of our own story. And so the world around us, which does not know the gospel of the good news of Jesus or has not responded to it, is living in Act 3. When we did not know Jesus and had not put our trust in him, we were living in Act 3, if I can use that language. And when we forget that Jesus has come and his spirit is living in us and enabling us to enter into a new story that we're going to talk about next week, we kind of slip back into Act 3. Act 4 is the resolution. Jesus comes to bring a new way of life, a new reality, to tell a new story. But there is at the same time a reality that when we don't accept and enter into that new story of Jesus, we find ourselves living out Act 3 again and again and again. And an Act 3 world, an Old Testament world, is a world of violence, a world of chaos, a world of destruction. As I said, you only have to look at the news this week to see the darkness and the evil that is happening all around us. One of the biggest news stories of the week, of course, was the man that I'm not going to dignify <laughs> by naming him, uh, who killed his children and his wife in Queensland. And it's been really interesting to see how we try to talk about that uh, because I've seen a lot of people calling him a monster. And it's nice to think that there are monsters in the world because it means there's something other than human and the rest of us are kind of separated from them. Look at what that monster did. But I want to suggest to you that that is a human being living in Act 3. And that darkness that he expressed is a darkness that dwells within all of us. And if we don't pay attention and choose to name it, accept it and acknowledge it and ask Jesus to help us enter into the new part of the story, then we are there too. And we live in a world that will tell us that the answer is more education or more, you know, more thinking about things, that we will just get better if we try harder. But the biblical narrative says, no, this is Act 3 and all you can do is cry out for God to step in and bring something new. The hope of Act 3 is not in the people. It is only always ever in God. We can also think about ourselves. It's one thing to look around at other people and name the evil and the brokenness that we see. But we need to name what it can feel like where we sometimes live. Over the last few months, I just think, is, <laughs> is it ever going to stop? I have had so many stories of people I know whose marriages have been breaking up, who've been having affairs, who've got gambling addictions. The number of stories in the Christian church, just another one yesterday, of high-profile leaders who it turns out behind the scenes have been abusing and exploiting the people under their care is heartbreaking. 
We can't pretend that just because Jesus has come, we're living in Act 5 and all is well. Because the world is fundamentally broken around us and we so often slip back in to that act of the story. I don't know what's going on in your life right now or in the lives of the people around you or what you might be hiding that is part of the darkness and the brokenness of Act 3, whether your marriage is struggling, whether you've got an addiction, whether there is distraction that keeps you from thinking about the important things of life, an apathy that just says, I'm not even going to bother. Those are all Act 3 places in the story. And reading the Old Testament in this way as we look towards the resolution and the hope that Jesus offers invites us to be honest and to say just like David and Moses and Abraham and every other character on every page of this story, I am a flawed, broken human being. There is brokenness within myself. There is a darkness in my soul and a hole within me that I cannot fill. And there is brokenness in my relationships with other people. There are people that I harbour bitterness and resentment towards. There are people that I have not forgiven for the wrongs that they have done to me. There are people that I have not shown love and grace to because it seems too hard or they look too different. And there is brokenness in my relationship with this creation that I am only just beginning to understand and explore in how I treat and respond to the good gift that God has given me of this land and this beauty and this world. And there is brokenness in my relationship with God where I cannot make my way to him. I cannot be who he calls me to be on my own. I do not do the things I want to do, Paul says, but I choose the things I do not want to do and I do not even know why. This is my story. This is our story. This is the story of the world that we live in. And the point of Act 3 is to say this, I desperately need a saviour. We desperately need a saviour. Our world desperately needs a saviour. Because it does always come back to the good news. We're invited to sit in the darkness and acknowledge it and name the reality in which we find ourselves so that we might be open and responsive to the God who has been there all along, offering healing and hope and forgiveness and restoration. But more than that, offering blessing and beauty and goodness and purpose and meaning. God doesn't want to just take away the bad stuff. He wants to invite us into a whole new story, a whole new way of living in this world, a whole new reality that comes in the person and life and work of King Jesus. The reality is that the story of the Old Testament points forwards and says this cannot be where you want to stay. And the answer is a God who has been there all along and has been promising and expecting and leading towards Jesus, who we're going to talk about next week. (laughs) So I wanted to finish this morning by inviting us, I guess, to a a practice, a bit of a response. We did this a little bit last week as well, but I think when you sit in Act 3 of the story, honestly, you want to be grateful 
for who this God is and you want to be expectant. I hope you come back next week because this would be a terrible place to leave it. We want to be expectant for what God is, has and will do in King Jesus. But we also want to be honest and acknowledge and confess and repent that we too have experienced Act 3 in this world and that God is just waiting to reach out to us with his hand of blessing and grace and mercy. So I want us to pray, and uh, we're going to do this using those, I'll give you a bit of an explanation before we do it, using those four kind of dimensions of the relationship. And I was trying to think of physical posture that might line up with each of them. We've found this over the last few years that sometimes doing something physical, just little, can really help us enter into uh, the fullness of what we're trying to say and name. And so I'm going to ask you in a minute to spend some time with me in prayer. And we're firstly going to, I'm going to ask you to bow your head. It's a pretty simple posture, but to bow your head and to really reflect on yourself to look deep within yourself and your heart and to name and confess the brokenness and the sin that you find there. And then I'm going to ask you to stand because when you stand, you're going to place your feet on the ground and I know that it's carpet, but it is the ground that represents God's good creation in which we find ourselves and we're going to name the brokenness in, our creation, in the creation that God has made and confess our part in that. And then I'm going to ask you to do probably the weirdest one, which is to, to raise your arms and point them out towards other people. Now, if you're sitting really close to people, it might end up mean that you end up bumping up against them, and that's okay if you're okay with that. If you don't know the people around you, you can be really awkward, and that's fine. Do whatever works for you. But to represent our hands facing out towards others, and we're going to acknowledge the brokenness in our relationship with others. It might be someone else in this room. It might be your family. It might be groups and nations of people in the world. And then finally, I'm going to ask you to reach your hands out with your palms faced upwards towards the heavens to represent our relationship with God. Does that make sense? So let's spend some time in prayer and we're going to acknowledge and name the brokenness, confess it and be expectant that God will respond with his grace and mercy. So please bow your heads. Our great God, God who is always passionately persisting and looking to us. We bow our heads before you now because we acknowledge that we are broken, that we are sinful, that when we look deep within ourselves, we know there is darkness lurking. You created us in your image, but we have chosen to put ourselves in your place and reject you and that leads to guilt it leads to shame it leads to emptiness and longing it leads to apathy and distraction we want to name the reality of our own sin and brokenness within ourselves we confess it to you because you are a loving, gracious, forgiving God. And we are expectant that by your spirit you will continue your work of healing and restoration within each one of us as we enter into your story, King Jesus. I invite you to stand. Our great God, as we place our feet upon this ground, connecting us to the earth that you created, that you created good 
that you created full of life and blessing for our benefit. We name the brokenness that exists between us and your good creation. We think of all the ways we have destroyed this earth. We have exploited and abused it. We have been cruel to the animals that you created. And we have not worked for the flourishing and goodness of all that you have made. We acknowledge the brokenness that exists in this creation. We confess our own ignorance and any part that we have played in that. And we are hopeful and expectant that you, King Jesus, want to renew and redeem and restore all things, all of your good creation. I invite you to place your hands out towards those around you. Now God, as we reach out our hands symbolically towards one another, we acknowledge the distance and the brokenness that lies between us and other people. The people in our lives that we struggle to love, the people to whom we harbour hatred, bitterness, resentment, the people that we have hurt by our words and our actions, the people that we have not loved by our lack of words and our lack of action. We acknowledge the brokenness that exists between us. We confess to you the ways and the times and the people that we have not loved as you've called us to love. And we are hopeful and expectant that in your renewing and redeeming of us as your people, you are setting things right and you are inviting us to be family again. I invite you to hold your hands open towards God. God, our great, passionate, persisting, loving, blessing, merciful God. There is brokenness in our relationship with you. You've never changed. You have always been longing to know us and to love us. But we have chosen ourselves above you. We have put things of this world above you, the one who made all things of this world. We've put others in your place. We confess. We confess our need for you, our desire for you, and our expectant longing that you will and are reconciling us bringing us again into your presence through King Jesus. 
so that we might experience your forgiveness, your mercy, your love and your grace. God, we say thank you because in all these dimensions of our lives, although we experience brokenness, we name it, we want to be honest about it. You have not left us on our own. You are responding and working and drawing and calling. And in this moment, in this time, in this place, we again commit ourselves to you and say thank you, Jesus, for coming and being the saviour that we so desperately need. And we pray in your name.